Today on The Matt Wall Show, a generation of spoiled, entitled brats have decided that they're actually oppressed, even though they've had really the easiest lives that the world has to offer. Uh, and that's why we've seen all this chaos and destruction in the streets the past two months. But normal law-abiding Americans are finally getting sick of it and responding in kind. And I think it's only going to get uglier from here. So we'll talk about all of that today. Also, five headlines, including confirmation from the government, essentially, that space aliens exist and the really shocking thing is that uh, nobody cares. Just it's uh, it's we, we've got better things to worry about apparently. And in our daily cancellation, we cancel Netflix for pushing the harmful, insane myth of transgender children, quote unquote. All of that on the way. But first, the show today brought to you by RockAuto.com. You know, it's so much easier uh, going to RockAuto.com than walking into a store and having to you know, provide all the answers for all the questions they might have for you. And then usually they're not going to have the part you want anyway. You're just going to have to order it online. So why not cut to the chase? You've got access to rockauto.com at your desk, in your pocket. And um, that's what I do when I have car trouble. I go to rockauto.com. I've been going there for months and it's been a lifesaver every time. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. And it's a fair, uh, it's a family business too. So you know, they've been doing this for 20 years, doing it a long time. Very honest family business. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. Uh, and they've got that great selection. Go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts or tr uh, uh, parts available for your car or truck. Remember to write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So that they know that we sent you. Okay. Uh, now, what we're watching play out right now, I think, is uh, what happens when you take a generation of people instill in them an overriding sense of entitlement, give them lives of immeasurable comfort and ease, grant them every right and liberty known to man, and even some rights and liberties up to this point unknown to man. Um, but then at the same time, you tell them somehow, incredibly, that they are oppressed and that they're victims. And finally, after decades of this sort of schizophrenic conditioning, you give them free reign to cause whatever chaos and anarchy and destruction they want, all in the name of justice, of course. And the next step in that process is the part that we're seeing now when everybody else gets tired of the madness, tired of being held hostage by these brats, tired of living in fear of the mob, and starts responding in kind. And that chapter of the story is just beginning now, it seems, and the next chapter will be even uglier. In fact, it's only ugliness preceded by even uglier ugliness from here on out, unless something is done to reverse the process, or at least to stop it from progressing any further than it already has. What I want to focus on today, though, is that entitlement. You know, entitlement on steroids is what we're, what we're witnessing. Protesters, rioters who believe that they are invincible who believe they actually have the right, the God-given or whoever-given right, to shut down roads, stop traffic, intimidate, harass, assault, burn, loot, pillage, without consequence. This isn't a, like a figure of speech when I say they think they have the right. They really do believe that they have the right to do it. Now, there were riots and chaos in cities all across the country over the weekend, as usual, let me give you um, a few examples of the entitlement on display by these people by focusing on, on, on a few incidents specifically, all right? First, uh, let me show you this. This is a protester named Julia Clark, and she posted a long Twitter thread, um, long and righteously indignant, complaining about a, a horrible, evil woman who had the audacity to drive down the road. 
the very road that Julia Clark had decided was shut down. And if Julia Clark decides that a road is closed, well, then damn it, it's closed. And that's all there is to it. And how dare anyone defy her? So uh, here she is. Uh, she says, let me speak on what happened in Georgetown tonight. Hashtag DC protest. Hashtag Georgetown Karen. Tonight, uh, concerned of DC, uh, activist group, apparently another one, because we didn't have enough of those already, led a siren slash noise pollution protest where we blocked off streets in Georgetown. The police presence was heavy. As we blocked off streets, we demanded that people turn around. This was a minor inconvenience for this affluent white neighborhood. You see how this is presented sort of matter-of-factly? Yeah, we blocked off streets and demanded that people turn around. Using the word demanded, uh, which, which I like. The thought doesn't even enter her mind that perhaps she has no right or authority to do any of that. It doesn't occur to her that other humans exist on the planet and that just because she feels like it would be fun and worthwhile to shut down part of the city, there may be other people who strongly disagree with her about that and that she has no right to impose herself on those people. And that in trying to impose herself on those people, she makes herself into the aggressor the, the undisputed bad guy in the situation. None of this occurs to Julia Clark. Just doesn't even, doesn't even enter her mind. Uh, here's more. She says, as we blocked streets, certain drivers got annoyed and attempted to maneuver their way around us. This particular white woman tried to cut through a gas station. Me and a couple other protesters stood in front of her car and demanded she turn around. Instead, she steps on the gas. And, and, and you can see the footage there. Um, notice... This, uh, this white woman, as you know, she's continually uh, described, tries to go around them. She tries to cut through a gas station. But Julia Clark and her comrades are incensed that this white woman has defied her orders. It's, she's, it, she's not even in the, like, she's not, she's not actually going through them. She's trying to go around them. But, 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 but Julia says, I don't know, you're not, this whole road we've closed. How dare you? You can't do this. We told you not to. And so they chase her down and jump on her car. And when the evil white woman keeps driving because she's scared to death now and panicked, understandably, Julia claims that she's been run over. I mean, she or, or her friends, whoever it was, jumping on a moving vehicle and then claiming that the vehicle they jumped on ran them over. This is like that, you know, that scene in Fight Club when Edward Norton beats the hell out of himself while begging his boss to stop beating him. This is just like that. And this thread goes on for a while longer, ending with Julia simultaneously whining that the police didn't come to her aid and also saying that the police are awful and should be defunded. So she's mad that they weren't there for her, yet she also doesn't want them to exist at all. You see. It doesn't end there. Um, let's let's continue this tour of uh, maniacal entitlement. This is a fun one. Here's here's footage from one of the protests. Uh, this I, I I'm not sure which city this is from. This is a young woman screaming in the in police officers' faces, taunting them, and then reacting in in horror when when they've when they finally had enough. Watch this.
Or effing what, she asks. And, well, they answer. I mean, she asked a question. She got an answer. Can't complain about that. And notice how her friends scream in horror. You know, there's always a woman. If, if you know, there's always a woman in all these videos screeching loudly in the background. Because these tough, scary Antifa warriors become damsels in distress the moment someone kicks them in the shins. Um, you know, one minute they're Mel Gibson in Braveheart riding down the battle line, blue face paint. You know, rallying the troops, shouting about freedom, and the next minute they're like my three-year-old crying over a scraped knee and asking for mommy to kiss his boo-boo. Um, you even hear one woman ask in shock, are you serious? Are you serious? It's a revealing question, and the answer is yes, ma'am, they are serious. See, life is a game to you, clearly, but it's not to those officers, and it's not to a lot of the rest of us. It's not to the businesses that are being shut down or burned down or vandalized, that are losing their livelihood because of people like you, okay? For them, it's all serious. For you, it's not. Because you're out here, you know, you're out here, uh, uh, you know, costume party pretending to be a freedom fighter. But I want you to stop and consider, consider the woman who got herself escorted away by the police. You know, she's up in their faces, she's screaming, she's angry, she's infuriated about something. Meanwhile, she's a young, attractive woman in America. As such... She has the easiest life that the world has to offer any group, okay? I'll tell you this right now. The life of an attractive young woman in America is by far the easiest for any demographic outside of royalty. Outside of royalty and political elites and like billionaires, next best thing, be a young attractive woman in America. So why is she so angry? What, like, she's angry at the... What did the system ever do to her? The system loves her. The system will do anything for her. But nonetheless, she's aggrieved somehow because part of being entitled is to feel perpetually aggrieved no matter what, all the time, even if there's no reason whatsoever to have that feeling. And um, continuing the tour here, then we have uh, this person. You're you purposely us! You beat us back! We did nothing! <clears throat> no further comment there is necessary. I, uh, ne- we'll, we'll move on. Back to the action in D.C. Um, there's another activist who posted this. The, ca- the caption says, Block the bridge and an old white couple refuse to turn around like everybody else, so we'll keep them company. And then you see the footage of them surrounding the vehicle, standing there. They're bragging about intimidating and harassing an elderly couple. This is something they're proud of. And they think people will be on their side because we as the people, as the others in the world, um, we as the world, our only job in their minds is to agree with them and support them no matter what they do. The entire world, for them, serves no purpose but to provide them continual affirmation. That as far as those people at the protest, as far as they're concerned, the only reason you exist, the only reason is to affirm them in whatever they do. So if you're trying to drive down the road, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be trying to get to work. You could be trying to visit a sick relative. You could have your, your, your child in the car trying to bring them to the hospital. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. All of that is secondary to, to their needs and their wants and what they want. Which is why they think nothing of just every night, just shutting down roads. 
They cannot imagine any reason a person would have to want to use that road that could be um, that could take priority over their reason for shutting it down. And by the way, their reason for shutting it down is they have no reason. There's no reason for any of this. What's the what? What are you trying? What exactly are you trying to achieve by stopping this old couple from driving down the road? Like, it, it, what what did they do to you? Well, we know what they did to you. They just, they disobeyed. That's the problem. Um, now, that brings us finally to the story of Garrett Foster. Okay, this is all uh, really context and setup for uh, Garrett Foster, uh, a BLM protester in Austin who came out to the protest on, uh, I guess it was Saturday, strapped with an AK-47. Garrett and his comrades were marching in the street, blocking traffic as usual, when suddenly the, the crowd became angry at one car for committing the unspeakable sin of trying to drive on the road. And so they ran and they swarmed the car, uh, surrounded it. Foster approached with his AK-47 and moments later, he was dead. Foster was, not the driver. The driver shot and killed him. The driver says that Foster pointed the weapon at him. Other witnesses, Garrett's fellow protesters, dispute that claim, say he didn't point it. I mean, you decide who to trust here. Um, and naturally, of course, the left has rallied to Foster's defense, making him out to be a hero, even though he's a white man with an AK-47, normally the very picture of evil, uh, according to the left. But, but, but in this case, they're, they're, they're all about it. They, 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 they've decided a, a great love. They've, they've discovered a great love suddenly for so-called assault weapons. And, and he's standing in the street, aggressively approaching a vehicle. C- contrast that with the left's response um, to the couple that stood on their own property holding weapons as protesters walked by. Those people were terrorists. Those were domestic terrorists, says the left, for holding weapons on their own property. Garrett Foster is, is, is on the other hand, a hero, apparently, for holding a weapon in the middle of the street, blocking traffic. So you can't hold a weapon on your own property, but in the middle of the street, blocking traffic, well, that's okay. That's, that's totally fine. But I want to wa- I want you to watch this clip. Um, so that that's that's what happened later in the night. But here's a clip from shortly before this fatal encounter. Um, and this is a clip of Garrett Foster being interviewed by someone, asked about why he's carrying an AK-47. Listen to what he has to say. AK-47. Uh, why'd you got it out tonight? They don't let us march in the streets anymore, so got to practice some some of our rights. Cool, man. Do you feel like you're, you'll need to use it? Nah, I think the, uh, I mean, if I use it against the cops, I'm dead. And I think all the people that hate us and, you know, want to say shit to us are too big of a pussy to stop and actually do anything about it, so. Why'd you start carrying? Well, our roommate got arrested and they stopped letting us march anywhere, so started carrying. Okay, so he says the people who oppose him are, quote, pardon the French, too pussy to do anything. And uh, those are among the last words that he ever spoke on earth. Now, there's a lot about this case that we don't know, and uh, I'm sure more details will come out as time progresses, but this should go without saying. You have no right to block traffic. 
You have no right to swarm a vehicle. And if you do that with an AK-47 strapped to your body, whether you point it or not, you have nonetheless given the driver of the car reason to fear for his life. So I say it again. This shouldn't need to be said, but it does. You have no right to block the street and swarm vehicles. How else can I explain this? I don't know how else to put it. It's very simple. You have no right to do it. This is not the First Amendment. The First Amendment does not give you the right to stand in the middle of the road and just decide what roads are going to be shut down that night. And if, any, and if anyone uh, defies your orders to swarm around them, beat on the vehicle and do all that. You have zero right to do that. If you do it, you might get hurt. If you do it in Texas, you might especially get hurt. And when you do get hurt, you have only yourself to blame. You were in the wrong doing what you had no right to do. But going back to that clip of Foster speaking, he makes it clear that he wasn't carrying the weapon because he feared for his life. He makes that, he's, he's, he's very explicit about that. No, according to him, um, the opposition are a bunch of wimps. That, he's not carrying it because he, he, he's worried about, there's been threats against his life or he's worried about being attacked or something. No, he says, they're not, they're not going to do anything, he says. He was wearing it expressly to intimidate. And he felt that he was invincible, untouchable. He's, he's, he's clear about that in, that in that clip. And he learned otherwise. And he learned the hard way, sadly. Um, you know, w- when you go around trying to intimidate people, eventually someone might take you seriously. So Garrett Foster was carrying that AK-47, walking around intimidating people. Uh, it's all a game to him. And he's, again, very explicit about that. He says, ah, they're all a bunch of wimps. They're not going to do anything. Because that had been his experience up till that point. Eventually, someone came along who was going to take him at his word. Um, And I fear that there are going to be a lot more Garrett Fosters out there. There are going to be many more people learning the hard way. That they cannot go around behaving and living as though the very planet itself will stop spinning if they say so. The media and their Democrat allies are whispering in these people's ears, shouting more like, encouraging them in their delusional narcissism and entitlement. But the rest of the country is tired of it, sick to death, fed up, really and truly and deeply and rightly outraged. Um, So I think there are going to be many more wake-up calls yet to come, unfortunately. Unless we put a stop to this. All right, let's move on to our um, five headlines. You know, as we talk about all this news, uh, by the way, Ben Shapiro has a new book out called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps that relates to, you know, everything going on in the news uh, because it's it's a very prescient book. The book covers... Two fundamentally different visions of America that are now on the table. One vision is unifying and finds our unity and shared philosophy and culture and history. The other disintegrates our country in the name of fundamental change. How to Destroy America, Three Easy Steps, details how this alternate worldview has gained so much culture, uh, cultural ground so quickly. And uh, I'd really recommend the book. You can pick it up on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble right now. Number one, we begin with this, which, you know, to my mind should be the top headline everywhere. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it really should have been what I started the show with and what every show starts with. 
a report in the New York Times about the Pentagon's UFO program. Okay, this is, this is some pretty incredible stuff. So listen to this. It says, despite Pentagon statements that it disbanded, it disbanded a once-covert program to investigate unidentified flying objects, the effort remains underway, renamed and tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, where officials continue to study, study mystifying encounters between military pilots and unidentified aerial vehicles. Pentagon officials will not discuss the program, which is not classified, but deals with classified matters. Yet it appeared last month in a Senate committee report outlining spending on the nation's intelligence agencies for the coming year. Uh, the report said the program, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, was to standardize collection and reporting on sightings of unexplained aerial vehicles and was to report at least some of its findings to the public within 180 days after the passage um, of the act. Okay. Uh, let me get to that. There's, there's a lot of, I, I recommend, I, I rarely recommend New York times articles, but this one I'll recommend. There's a lot of information in it. Uh, let me get to a couple of highlights here. Uh, for more than a decade, the Pentagon program has been conducting classified briefings for congressional committees, aerospace company executives, and other government officials, according to interviews with program participants. In some cases, earthly explanations have been found for previously unexplained incidents. Um, even lacking a plausible terrestrial explanation does not make an extraterrestrial one the most likely, astrophysicists say. Mr. Reed, uh, Harry Reed, the former Democratic senator from Nevada, who pushed for funding the earlier UFO program when he was the majority leader, said he believed that crashes of objects of unknown origin may have occurred and that retrieved materials should be studied. Okay, now here comes the part we should, you, you really need to listen to. Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program since 20, 2007, said that in some cases, examination of the materials had so far failed to determine their source and had led him to conclude, quote, we couldn't make it ourselves. Um, Mr. Davis, who now works for the Aerospace Corporation, a defense contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to a Defense Department agency as recently as March about retrievals from, quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Okay, there's the money quote right there. It only took me 15 minutes to get to it. So that is an astrophysicist who worked for the Pentagon publicly confirming on the record to the New York Times that they have retrieved alien spacecraft. That, that's what he just said in this New York Times article. That strikes me as like a pretty big deal. Yet everyone is just like, oh, oh, aliens, cool. Oh, aliens. What else is on TV? Uh, there has been very little reaction to this somehow. Even though the Pentagon, the Pentagon is basically standing there and telling us, yes, space aliens exist, folks. We, we, we make a big deal out of everything that happens in the world, except this, somehow. Now, I admit to that that I still have a fair amount of skepticism, even in spite of this. I, I fully admit that, uh, because all you know, all joking aside, well, this isn't a joke at all. But I, I do have some skepticism, even though I believe that I, I certainly believe there are intelligent civilizations out there in the universe. It seems almost mathematically impossible that there wouldn't be with 100 billion, 100 billion galaxies and 100 billion stars in each of those galaxies, and you know, trillions upon trillions of planets. I mean, there are probably millions of intelligent civilizations. It's just that the the distances, as I've always said, the distances are so vast that it seems likely to me that, that, that it's just impossible to traverse them or that um, no civilization could advance that far in their technology without destroying themselves first. 
kind of the cynical view, but I think there's something to that. But even so, I mean, this seems like a pretty big deal anyway. It's, it's very interesting, at least, and nobody cares. Uh, but let's go number two here. Here's, rather than caring about aliens, here's something that people did care about this weekend. Uh, here's, here's a clip that went viral. Watch this. And video games are a real problem. They're a real problem. You know why? Because they're fun. Addictive. And you don't, yeah, well, I'm, I have a real problem with them. And you, you, you do them, and they're real exciting, but you don't get anywhere. Right. It's like you could do, like, like martial arts, right? You could learn jujitsu. You get obsessed by jujitsu, and then three years later, you're you're like an elite jujitsu athlete. You're like you're entering in competitions. You're a purple belt. You're moving up. Yeah, you're doing well. Right. You're thinking like I might be able to open my own school one day. You got confidence. Yeah, if I have a hundred students and those hundred students are paying me X amount of dollars per month, I can make a living. Holy shit! I can have a. This would be amazing. And then you see your jujitsu school, and your jujitsu instructor has all these students and drives a Mercedes, and he's got a nice family, and like that's the future. This way. You're doing something exciting and fun, and you don't. Or you could just be playing f video games. Three years later, you could be that same kid just playing video games, waiting for the next Vix, whatever the f game is, you know, next Xbox game to come out, and you're going to waste your time. People were extremely upset about what you just heard there from Joe Rogan because we live in a nation of ridiculous, stupid children. Obviously, everything Joe Rogan, and he admits that he's a video game addict himself, okay. Everything he's saying there is absolutely correct. He's saying that it's not good to spend too much time playing video games. That's all. Pretty obvious, really. Undeniably true. And he's saying that, you know, if you look back at your life, he says three years, if you look back at the last three years of your life, and you've spent hundreds of hours playing video games, think about what else you could have done with those hundreds of hours. You know, you could have become a jujitsu master in the meantime. You could have become a master of, of many different disciplines and, 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 uh, and, and develop many different skills. Instead, you just play video games and you really didn't gain. I mean, yes, it's, you, were, you were able to relax because, you know, that's, of course, we're all just starving for, uh, for relaxation and recreation, right? It's not like we're, we're, we're drowning in that stuff already. But, okay, it's, it's recreation. You were able to relax. You had a good time. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think Joe Rogan is saying that you should never play video games. He's clearly not saying that. But you don't really, you don't, this, you don't, you don't gain much else from it. That's, you, know, you, you look back on your life, at the end of your life, and, and, and you think back all the time you spent playing video games, you're probably not going to think to yourself, that was time well spent, right? Um, you're probably going to think to yourself, man, if I could have just carved out like a third of that chunk, it's like not, not that I never played them, but maybe just take a third of those thousands of hours I spent and used it to, I don't know, write, write the next great American novel. I mean, anything. Become a master chef, right? Learn how to like build a house, learn how to farm. It's like an actual physical skill where I'm out there doing something. I mean, I think that people people probably think that to themselves, and that's that's a pretty obvious point. Now, yes, anytime this comes up, the gamers out there will point out that oh, well, you could say that about about watching TV. You could say that about spending time on the internet. Absolutely, you could. 
And people do say that all the time. I mean, how, how often have people lamented uh, all, all of the, the hours that Americans waste watching TV and Netflix and, and, and you know, trolling social media? Yes, that, that also is part of it. But the thing is, you're allowed to point out that it's probably not the most constructive thing to spend 40 hours a week watching TV. You're allowed to point out that if you're on Facebook for six hours a day, it's probably too much. Like, you're allowed to say that, and no one's going to cry about it. The only difference is that if you dare say it about video games, people start crying. Um, Which only shows how right the point is and how necessary it is to say it, because people take it way too seriously and are way too attached. Um, Number three, before the national anthem was played at a WNBA game this weekend, the players walked off the court in protest. Here's the footage of that. Anthem was played. We saw the players leave the floor, go back to their respective locker rooms. One of those actions we'll see throughout the season as part of the social justice initiative. Yeah, first of many ways that we will see WNBA plays, players using their voices all season long. This is nothing new for these women. They have been proactive when it comes to speaking out on social injustices for the life of the WNBA. Now, as I understand it, three of their viewers were very upset um, and said they're not going to watch anymore. That's what I read. So the WNBA just lost, lost half of their audience, which is, which is a pretty steep loss there, pretty devastating. Uh, I guess you could say that this move was not exactly a slam dunk, mostly because the players can't touch the rim. But the really interesting thing is that, you know, watching that clip, for most of us, is the first footage we've seen of a WNBA game. So at least it confirms that the WNBA exists you know, it's not a myth after all. It really is a thing, apparently. I don't know why it exists, but it does. Uh, it's just out there. You know, if if women are playing basketball in a forest and nobody watches, does it? did it really happen? It, you know, that's been one of the philosophical, one of the great philosophical conundrums. Apparently, yeah, it did happen. Incredible. Number four, here's something uh, we're starting to see more of. A political reporter posted images from New Zealand showing that New Zealand is basically back to normal after COVID and putting them uh, in, in, in putting New Zealand forth as a success story due to their lockdown policies and contrasting, oh, look how well New Zealand is doing and, and you know, the United States, look how poorly they're doing. Um, and then a doctor, Mike Galsworthy, followed up with his own post saying, no masks, shaking hands, bustling crowds, fully open economy. New Zealand earned this by locking down early and hard, pursuing a zero COVID strategy. Libertarians would love to be in this position, but they are their own worst enemies in a pandemic. Now we're in a mess. Now I bring this up just to show you how dishonest our discourse has become, if you need it any more convincing. They're using New Zealand as an example crediting New Zealand's success with its policies. Meanwhile, New Zealand is one of the most remote populated landmasses on earth. The entire nation has a population the size of Los Angeles's. Um, it gets only about 4 million tourists a year to the entire country compared to 80 million for the U.S. It's an island. Its neighbor to the west is Australia, 2,500 miles away, and Australia is one of the most sparsely populated countries in the world. And its neighbor to the south is Antarctica. So you've got an island nation way out there, um, the furthest possible distance, you know, in relation to to many other countries. And 
surrounded by ocean. If you go south, you're, you're in an Arctic wasteland where the population is zero besides, you know, whatever, five or six scientists living in, living in, uh, in, in you know, research labs. And then if you go, if you go 2,500 miles to the west, you run into Australia where, you know, it's like there's people living around the coast and just nobody in the middle of that country at all. So, yeah, I, I think probably that has a lot to do with them doing well in a pandemic. New Zealand is going to do well in a global pandemic literally no matter what its policies are. It doesn't matter. They're going to do well because they're so isolated, obviously. Okay, number five, finally, uh, Representative John Lewis's body. Uh, John, you know, John Lewis obviously died, uh, I guess it was over a week ago now, uh, or last week, several days. He was taken across, so his, his, his body was taken across the Selma Bridge yesterday. Um, the Times says, as, as, but here's the phrase, taken across the Selma Bridge, as remembrances continue, continue being the operative phrase there, there have been a lot of remembrances of John Lewis. Um, there was a memorial service at Brown Chapel AME Church in Alabama, then another memorial service at Troy University in Alabama, and then at some point his body was ceremonially, ceremonially brought across the bridge in a horse-drawn carriage with an audience watching. Then, his bo- brought, then he was brought up to D.C. to lie in state for two days so the public can pay respects. Um, then he'll be brought to Atlanta for memorial, and then the following day will be the funeral. Okay? So that's what, three, four memorial services, plus a couple other ceremonial things, and, and then the, you know, body on display, public can pay respects, then a funeral. All of this is happening while thousands of Americans have not been allowed to, to have funerals for their own dead relatives because of COVID. So just imagine, I mean, maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe you're in this position. Um, I imagine someone who was not able to have a funeral service for their father who passed away, was not even able to gather 20 people in a chapel for a funeral service because they were told it's too dangerous. And yet now they turn on the news and see a politician has died and has multiple funerals and memorials attended by thousands of people across three states. Now, if the funerals, if the reason we're not having a funeral service for Joe Smith, who dies down the street, if the reason his family can't gather to mourn him is because it's not safe, then it doesn't suddenly become safe when a prominent politician dies. Either it's safe or it isn't. Either you can do it safely or you can't. If you can't do it safely, then we shouldn't be doing it for John Lewis. If you can do it safely, then there's no reason why we can't do it for Joe Smith. This is obviously pretty clear cut, I would say. Now, I don't have a problem in normal circumstances with with, with this sort of thing when a prominent uh, politician or dignitary dies and and, and we have all the memorial services. I don't have an issue with that, you know. I know there are some people that always raise issues with it because they say, oh, this is, you know, idolatry or, or whatever. I, I don't see it that way. I think that this is, this is just what people do when, when, when the prominent among them pass away. And that's fine. I got no issue with it. Um, but I do have an issue with it if we're doing it while also telling normal Americans that they're not allowed to gather and celebrate the lives of you know their grandparents and parents and others who pass away. That that is just 
that is a outrageous example of elitism and you know rule rules for thee but not for me type of thing. Okay, let's go to our daily cancellation finally. Today for our daily cancellation, we are canceling Netflix. Over the weekend, Netflix had a series of tweets written by someone named Rose Demue, a, a transgender person, hailing Netflix for a recent episode of The Babysitter's Club, which featured a, quote, trans girl. And it was, of course, very nice of Netflix uh, to generously give this transgender individual a platform to talk about how great Netflix is. So I, I really appreciate that from Netflix. And the thread goes through all of the wonderful things about this episode. And as a, by the way, as a big Babysitter's Club fan myself, uh, I'm surprised I missed this episode somehow. I've seen the whole Babysitter series probably 10 times. Uh, somehow I didn't see this. Anyway, so let's let's go through. We go through all of the wonderful progressive things that was that you could be, you could could be found in this episode, and then we get to this. And the caption of this clip says, "When Bailey, the, the male who we're calling a trans girl, comes down with a fever, Mary Ann rushes her to the hospital, where uh, two doctors misgender her. Mary Ann firmly corrects them: misgendering is traumatic. This is one of the baseline ways cisgender people can show up for trans people in their life." Um, and then we have the clip. Let's let's watch that clip. Have you been giving him fluids? If he's dehydrated, we'll need to place an IV. Have him change into this. I don't want the blue one. Um, well... I hear someone's not feeling well. Let's take a look at the little man. Can I please talk to you two outside? I know that you guys are busy, but as you would see, if you looked at her and not her chart, Bailey is not a boy. And by treating her like one, you are completely ignoring who she is. You're making her feel insignificant and humiliated. And that's not gonna help her feel good or safe or calm. So from here on out, please recognize her for who she is. And if at all possible, could you find me a non-blue hospital gown? Okay, where to begin with this? First of all, the acting here is just tremendously bad. And I, I hold the Babysitters Club to a much higher standard than that. You know, they're so I, I'll never forget the episode of Babysitters Club when Samantha found out that Becky went to the mall with Stephanie, and nobody invited her to come along. That final confrontation between Samantha, Becky, and Stephanie, and the monologue that Samantha delivers, one of the great dramatic moments in television history, and a personally life-changing moment for me to witness. This just does not rise to that level, sadly. There's a high bar for the Babysitter's Club, okay? Um, And this, this... this doesn't get there. So I'm disappointed in that. Second of all, once again, we see here the parade of contradictions that comprise left-wing gender theory. It's just nothing but contradiction stacked on top of contradiction. Marianne, the babysitter, who's in a hospital lecturing doctors about their lack of LGBT awareness while there are people with medical emergencies who, who, who need attention, But uh, she's angry the doctors have the audacity to judge Bailey's sex based on his medical chart and not by looking at him. Because if they looked at him, then they'd see that he has long hair and he's wearing, uh, you know, a butterfly shirt and and that he likes pink, not blue. 
Meanwhile, leftists have spent the last 50 years telling us that none of that stuff has anything to do with being a girl. They're the ones who told us that. So on the one hand, we're told that there's no real association between girlhood and pink frilly things, and that it's an arbitrary societal convention. In fact, a convention that should be broken down and abandoned, uh, and that it never really meant anything anyway to begin with. And then on the other hand, we're told that boys who like pink frilly things are actually girls. This is a blatant and irredeemable contradiction. It's, you, you can't get around it. It destroys their entire narrative. Not that they care, of course, but it's... It, it, and I, I have brought up this point to um, many left-wingers to see how they reconcile it. And they don't. They can't. They just... They, they can't even address it. Third, if a child is traumatized by being given the wrong colored gown, um, that's a good sign that the child's real trauma has nothing to do with the gown or what pronouns he's called. Children in real life, mostly boys, who are, uh, which by the way, have you ever wondered why that is? You know, most of the time, vast majority of cases, with the, especially with, uh, this is true in adulthood too, but especially with the kids who come out as transgender, almost always boys coming out as girls. If this is just like a naturally occurring thing, sometimes people are born in the wrong body, why, why is it almost always boys that this happens to? How do you explain that scientifically? Well, you explain it scientifically the same way you explain any of this scientifically, which is you don't. Um, but anyway, children in real life, mostly boys, who are, who are trying to live as girls and identifying as girls, they are the victims of trauma. And the trauma does come from being misgendered. So don't get me wrong. When, it, when someone says it's tra traumatic to be misgendered, I absolutely agree. And I, I take that totally seriously. But the traumatic misgendering happened when the adults in his life told him he's a girl. That's the misgendering part. That's the trauma. And now, through no fault of his own, he's living this false identity, trying desperately to maintain it, and anything that reminds him of who he truly is is now traumatic. But only because it reminds him of reality. And it brings him back to the, to the, to the real trauma, the real abuse, of having this false identity imposed on him to begin with. And yes, every single transgender child has had that false identity imposed on them. Every single one, without exception. Because either, you know, when, when you've got a young child who's supposedly transgender, there are two explanations for that. Either they have, um, they have hopelessly progressive parents who push them in that direction because the parents like the idea of having a transgender child that they can parade around and score woke points off of, or, and I, I suspect that's the case most of the time, or the child is in that state because he went through a perfectly normal and natural stage of childish confusion where he wanted to be a girl, i.e. he wanted to play with dolls and wear pink outfits because that's what being a girl means to a child, you idiots. When you've got a four-year-old saying, well, I'm a girl, he doesn't know what that is. All he means by that, the only thing he means by that is that he likes the things that he associates with girls. Do you know how I know that? You know how I know it? Because I could walk up to any four-year-old on earth 
and say and ask them a question. What is a girl? And they couldn't they couldn't tell me. They, they don't know what the word actually means because they're four years old. To them, all it means, somebody with long hair wears a dress, likes playing with dolls. And many young boys will go through a phase where they see that and they're curious about it and, and it's, it's attractive to them. Okay, that's really normal. And if you're on the left, you're the one who said You've been saying for 50 years that boys can do all of that and there's nothing wrong with it because all of that is nothing but a societal convention. If this is just a societal convention, how can his attraction to a certain societal convention tell us anything about who he inherently is? You're the one for 50 years who told us it tells us nothing. And now you're trying to go back on that and say, oh, no, no, actually, it's, 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 it, that tells us everything about this child. Um, anyway, where was I? Yeah, the, the, the way that this is imposed is, is either you just have progressive parents that push kids into it, which does happen, or a, a, a young boy goes through a very normal phase, um, says I'm a girl and, uh, and the parents decide to just go with it and they take the four-year-old child at his word. They take his self-identity seriously even though a four-year-old child has no idea what he's talking about when he says literally anything. Have you ever listened to a four-year-old speak? They, they have no idea. It's, they're, they're, they're not living in reality. They're, they're they weren't, they didn't even exist four years ago. Four years and nine months ago. They came into existence at conception, by the way, not when they were born. Okay, but but less than, than than half a decade ago, they didn't exist on the planet. They are very new to this planet thing, to this reality thing, to this being a person thing. And yet they they you hear one of them make a, a declaration about their, their inner identity and and you take it seriously? Well, the parents that do that you know, are either unbelievably stupid or insane. Or they're, they know better, but they're taking advantage of their child because they want to score the woke points. Or some combination of those. You know, I suspect probably options B and C, a combination of B and C, insane and taking advantage. Um, and that is the real trauma. Okay. That's the trauma that the child is suffering from. And it is horrible and it is evil. And I, I refuse. This is, this is not a hill that we can abandon to the left and just let them have it. This is a hill to die on. Absolutely. What they're doing to children. Let them pretend as they are taking advantage of and abusing children and ruining them Pretend that they're the compassionate ones and, 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 you know, they're the ones who really care. No. Uh, so that's why Netflix is canceled. And we will uh, leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. AOC whines about being insulted, Dr. Fauci characteristically misses the mark at the Nationals opening day, and the government money printer prepares to go brrrr once again. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE.